0: Purified, set free, delivered, sins paid for, sins gone. God given his grace for us. I invited you last Sunday to begin praying with me each day, uh, six by six by six. Six minutes of prayer at six o'clock for six weeks. The purpose of the prayer is for corporate and personal revival. And uh, the first, thank you, Ken, the first question that came to me was uh, uh, 6, 6 a.m. or 6 p.m.? Well, that's up to you, whichever you want. Both could work, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Uh, the, the second question that came to me, well, actually it wasn't a question, it was a statement, was 6 o'clock doesn't work for me. Okay, five works, seven works, 1123 works, whatever time it is that you can spend a few moments praying for personal and corporate revival. Uh, the, the idea of six by six by six is just a memory device to help us to remember to do it. And, and I've already had confessions today that uh, some of us need to have some little reminders. I'll give you a hint. I put an alarm on my phone. It rings every day at 6 o'clock. And uh, that's how I'm remembering. So let's pray. Let's ask God to bring revival to us. It comes out of the spirit of the Old Testament. There were times over and over again when God's people had fallen away from him. And they needed to come back. They needed to come home. To return to him. One of our favorite verses from the Old Testament. It's not the text for today. But it, it's the reminder of praying for revival. It comes at the dedication of the temple in Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And heal Their land. That's a powerful promise from God. That when we call out to him, when we humble ourselves enough to to really look for him and find him. He will come to us when we pray. He will come to us when we cry out and he will forgive our sin. All of us need that and he will heal our land and certainly the world needs that but throughout the history of god's people there are these times of ebb and flow times of coming and going times of moving closer to god or moving farther away from god times when his presence was sought diligently times when it seems he was forgotten James Packer, some know him as J.I. Packer, uh, gives this little definition for revival. It says, Revival is the visit- visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Brings Christians who have been sleeping. Oh, I hope that's not us. I hope we haven't been sleeping on God. But yet I know human nature, and I know that there are times for all of us. As we look back across our life, we can look back, and there are times when we recognize maybe we were asleep, at least when it comes to the things of God. We were not giving him proper attention, seeking him hard enough. One of those times in the history of God's people was long ago in the days of a man named Eli. Eli was the chief priest over Israel. And it was under his guidance and his watch that he was to lead the people of God to worship. His sons had grown and become adults. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And really at the point of Are becoming aware of Eli as he is recorded in history. He's fairly elderly and really has passed the work of the priesthood over to his sons, Hophni and Phineas. And if you know his their story and Eli's story, you know that Hophni and Phineas were were uh, asleep spiritually. They weren't really paying attention to the things of of God. Uh, Oh, they were practicing the ceremonial things. People were still bringing their offerings to the Lord, but Hophni and Phinehas weren't treating them rightly. The scripture says they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. It was as if they were laughing at God, saying, we don't need you, we're going to do it our way, and I want this portion, and I want this portion, and God, you get the leftovers. None of us have ever done that, I'm sure. And it started, I think, if you, if you read between the lines of the story, and this is all found in the beginning chapters of 1 Samuel, I think it started not with Hophni and Phinehas, I think it started with Eli. Because if you read closely, the Bible tells us that Eli honored his sons more than he honored the Lord. He was more concerned about them and keeping them happy than he was properly honoring the Lord. Uh, And that was the problem. And as the priests failed to lead the way, God's people failed to receive the blessing that was due them. And uh, surely some of them weren't worshiping properly because their example was wrong. They didn't have a good example to follow. And God, always aware when we're sleeping and when we're not, always aware if we're following him closely or at a distance, looks upon Eli and his sons, and he, he makes a declare. It was given through a prophecy. And he says, your family line will be cut off. None of the men of your family will live to an old age. Well, that would be a hard word to receive from the Lord, wouldn't it? A hard word. But even in hearing that, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas didn't really change their ways. They kept going as they were going and doing as they were doing and pleasing themselves instead of pleasing God. And so God calls Samuel to serve as a priest before him. You remember Samuel. He was called as a boy Uh, His calling was so unique and special and came to him at such a young age that he didn't even recognize that it was God calling out to him. It was Eli who recognized that and and helped Samuel to hear the word of the Lord as God spoke to him and called him. But he was a boy, and it was a while before he took over the reins of, of the priest's duties. And Eli and Hophni and Phinehas kept serving such as it was. Not well, but serving. And it was during that period of time that the people of God, the nation of Israel, uh, came to war with the Philistines. uh, One trying to overtake the other, and then at different times it shifted back and forth. But uh, they fought for a long time, and, and Israel was fighting the Philistines. And to no one's surprise who reads this in a historic form, as we do, the Israelites lost they always lost when they didn't worship the Lord properly. They lost his favor, they lost his grace, and, and they always lost. And the Philistines lost a particularly hard battle one day, and thousands of men were lost in that battle. Among them, Hophni and Phineas. And so a messenger came to Eli to tell him the news of the battle, and it, it says he was sitting on a stool, kind of like I'm sitting on today. Uh, he was sitting on a stool, and the messenger told him of the defeat and told him of all of the men that had been lost and then said to him in, in a rather straightforward way, I'm sure with some mercy and some tenderness, but, but informed him that his sons had died. They'd been lost in the battle. And the scripture says, Eli fell off of his stool because of the shock of the news. The fall apparently caused his neck to break, and he died. The news of defeat, the death of his sons, then his own death. Scripture makes it fairly plain that that happened because the people weren't following God. They weren't living for him. They were asleep. Not only was it Eli and his sons, but also Phineas' wife, her name not really given to us, was pregnant. And gave birth to a son right at the same time, but after the battle had been lost. And in the midst of her childbirth, complications arose and she died, but she lived long enough to name the son that was born. You know his name. You've heard it, even if you don't recognize the connection. She named her boy Ichabod. Ichabod. And she said, I name him Ichabod because the glory of the Lord has departed from us. You see, that's what happens to us when we go to sleep on God. The glory of the Lord departs. His presence withdraws. We miss his goodness and his grace. It's not so much that he's absent. It's that we ignore him. And when we ignore him, his glory withdraws. In the midst of the battle, after we hear of the the daughter-in-law's death, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is lost to the Philistines. They capture it. This great reminder of God's presence with the people. And that's really what the ark was for. It was to remind them of God's presence. Taken away from the people of Israel. The people of God. His chosen ones. And taken by the Philistines and and put in their temple next to their God. A God they called Dagon. It was really not a God. It was an idol carved by the hands of men. If you look up pictures of it, you'll find different representations because it's so long ago that nobody ever really knows exactly what that carved image looked like. But we know that it had hands and arms. But when when they put the ark in the temple next to Dagon, they left for the day, went to their homes overnight, and when they came back the next day, Dagon's idol had fallen over the symbolism was clear to the philistines they knew what was happening they knew that the powerful presence of god was there because the ark of the covenant was there but they still didn't quite get it and so they set the idol back up and the day passed night came they went to their homes they came back the next day and uh, Where do you suppose Dagon was? He, he, it, the idol, not really a person, had fallen to the ground. And this time it says his hands and his arms were broken off. Well, twice was enough. It didn't take three times for them to figure it out. Twice was enough. They removed the Ark of the Covenant and they took it to a different place. They took it to a village called Kiriath-Jerim. And there they placed it in the house of a man named Aminadab. And they, the people, not the Philistines, but the people of God, the ones in that village, consecrated a man named Eliezer to guard the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was back in the possession of the people of God, but it wasn't really where it belonged. It wasn't at a place where it could remind the people of God's presence with them, and, and their slumber, their sleeping, continued. The Bible tells us it was there for a long time. Some, some translations just say a long time. Others say that it was there in, in minadab's home for about 20 years. And it's at that point that I, w- I want to read the Scripture to you instead of just tell you about it. First Samuel chapter 7. So the men of kiriath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at kiriath Jerem for a long time, 20 years in all. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. 20 years later, they're still fighting the Philistines and losing. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths. And served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with you for the Lord. Or with, with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. When Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, two villages. He named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel and all of those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home excuse me, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar to the Lord there. That's for Samuel chapter seven, minus a verse or two. From that chapter. If you have your own Bible today, and and if it's one you use to mark in, I'd like you to note several words in that chapter. Note the word mourned, the word sought, the word rid, fasted, confessed, the word Ebenezer, a funny word to us, a name, a funny name, and the word altar. You know, it's from this story of Eli and his sons and the, the rising of Samuel to be the priest of the, the people of God that we learn about the glory of the Lord again. We learned about it first from Moses. When Moses would go up on the mountain, Sinai, to receive uh, the commands of God, the law of God, he would come down and the glory of the Lord would shine on him. And Then after they built under Moses' time, they first built the Ark of the Covenant. It would then those days sent in a, a, what was called the Temple of Meeting. And Moses was the only one that went in there. And he would go into that place and, and he would encounter the glory of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we know a little bit about it from the pages of Scripture and from uh, other Jewish literature. We, we know it was kind of a box that held some important items. There are different places in Scripture that tell us what some of those items are, but they don't always all measure up. Uh, and so we assume that the tablets of the law are there. Uh, some even believe the the broken tablets and the new tablets are there. We don't know that for sure, if that was what was there. Uh, other places, especially in the New Testament, tell us that uh, the... Uh, Israelites at the end of their wilderness journey had gathered some manna and put it in a jar to remember that the Lord had provided for them during their wilderness trek and that it's possible that that jar of manna was in the Ark of the Covenant. And also it's possible, uh, the New Testament indicates, that uh, Aaron's staff, the one that budded and came to bloom, is in the Ark of the Covenant And that box, that ark, is, is covered with gold. And on top of it, they created two cherubim, one on each end. And it was from between those cherubim that the glory of the Lord would come to the people. And when Moses stood before the ark in the tent of meeting, he would go in and the glory of the Lord would appear there. And it would so fill the, that tent that it would fall on the outside of it. And that glory, the ark, the symbol of God's presence with them. But when the glory of the Lord departs, the presence of God departs. When his glory is missing, it's not that he's missing because we know God is everywhere. But his glory doesn't reach us, doesn't impact us. And it's not so much, again, as I mentioned earlier, it's not so much about that, that God withdraws from us. It's that we withdraw from him. It's we go to sleep on him. We fail to obey his commands. We fail to, to move ourselves and put ourselves in a position where we can experience his glory. If you think about those words I ask you to highlight, those words identify actions that are the way to restore spiritual vitality. They were true for the Israelites, the people of God. It's true for us. The first word I ask you to, to note was the word mourned. The people mourned. Twenty years had gone by since the, the ark had been removed from its rightful place. It first went to the Philistines, then went to Abinadab's house not where it belonged, safe, but not where it belonged. It wasn't in a place where the people could worship. And over time, they had a growing awareness that they needed God. That was heightened by their awareness that they needed God's help to defeat the Philistines who continually came against them in war. But that recognition, that mourning, was the sign that they knew they had lost their intimacy with God. It was the absence of the Ark of the Covenant that began weighing heavily upon them. And they needed his presence. They needed him. They needed to know that the God of heaven was with them. And The relationship between the Ark and the glory of God is reinforced all through the scripture, but they understood again that, that they needed God. They needed him. And so they mourned. After a long time, they mourned. Unfortunately, when the glory of the Lord departs from you and me, sometimes we don't notice it right away either. Sometimes a long time goes before we really become intimately aware that we're not where we belong with God. We're in the wrong place. And when that recognition comes, we need to mourn. We need to mourn. William Ward said we should be thankful for our tears. They prepare us for a clearer vision of God. Oh, there, there have been times in my life when I've become aware that I haven't been right where I needed to be with God. And I'm thankful that in those moments, probably not as soon as I should have, <laughs> but in those moments, I've, I've been able to mourn. And I've, in that mourning, recognized that I need the glory of God back in my life. Apostle Paul talked about it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. He said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Restoring spiritual vitality always begins with the recognition that we have lost the presence of God. God that we've lost that vitality, and that we need him again. Do you mourn when you become aware that you've been asleep instead of giving attention to God? And then it says the people sought God, and they returned to his presence. Listen again to verse 3 of that seventh chapter as Samuel gives some advice to them as they become aware of their need for the the glory of God to return to their lives. He said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So what's this say to us? We're not worried about being delivered from the Philistines, but we are concerned to seek the presence of God and to have his presence fully alive in us. That, that spiritual vitality that we want requires a full commitment, a full devotion. And it requires that we rid ourselves of whatever competes with God for first place in our lives. There are some things that we just have to release, we have to let go of. And, and that ridding, and fasting, and confession come together fairly quickly and they precede the return of God's presence. Before he can come back and shine his glory on us, there's work we have to do. We have to do some spiritual house cleaning. What what is that? What is it that we rid ourselves of? What is it that we fast over that uh, causes our hearts to be broken? What is it that we confess? It's anything that's unfit for God. God. Because if it's unfit for God, we can't hold on to it and expect his glory to be in us. We need to do some house cleaning. What's that look like? Let me give you five words. They all begin with a P, it's convenient that way. That that help us think about what some of this ridding and confession might be. Think about possessions, passions, people priorities, practices, possessions. Sometimes it's physical things that get in the way of our worship of God. We get more caught up with those physical things, those, those great possessions that we treasure and cherish. They become more important to us, to God. And I can't tell you what those are because they would be different for every one of us. A friend of mine has a pretty vast coin collection and that might be his issue, I don't know. I haven't asked him about it. It might be that favored thing that sits in a prominent place in your home that just robs you of putting God in the first in his first and rightful place. Passions. When our passions become uncontrolled and get out of line. They can move us away from God. Sometimes it's people. And by that I mean sometimes, just like Eli with his sons, we put people in a favored position over, the, over God. Eli was more concerned about his sons than he was about his relationship with God. And it's not to say he shouldn't be concerned about his sons. Of course he should. But when they come first, something's wrong so whoever that person might be be careful priorities practices you know sometimes there are just some things that if we're going to stay close to god we have to quit doing we have to remove those habits and practices from our life as as much as maybe it's for someone that Uh, The possession was a stack of magazines hidden away in a closet that had to be gotten rid of. Anything unfit for God is unfit for you. And the glory of the Lord cannot come. And so we come to a place of agreeing with the Apostle John who says if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we want spiritual vitality to be restored to our life, then then we have to be open and honest with God about the things that, that got in the way, that took his place, that became more important to us than maintaining our relationship with him. And we have to deal with those things. There was a classroom of young elementary students at a at a Christian school, and the teacher was talking to them about the things in their life that they would need to confess to god and uh, It might have been possessions or people or priorities or practices she wouldn 't have used those words necessarily with young children but but uh, they were having trouble as she was teaching them to to confess things that needed to be made right in their life. Uh, and often they would, she would invite them to pray, and they, they would start their prayer and they would stop and they would look at her and they'd go, I forgot what I needed to say to God. And so she encouraged them to write them down and make a list. And so one day, as they were gathered together and to, to have a time of prayer, the, one of the students began unfolding a piece of paper he had taken out of his pocket, and he opened it up and, and he began to read it as a prayer. And it, he says, I lied to my parents. I disobeyed my mom. I fought with my brothers and and there was a long pause. And a small voice says, "Hey, this isn't my list." <laughs> you know, the person beside you will have a different list than you will. You can't pray their list. You have to pray your list. Was it, what is it that might be in your life today that's unfit for God, that needs to be removed, be gotten rid of, so that the glory of God can come to you? What do you need to confess to the Lord so that you're alive in His presence? talk about Ebenezer the people acknowledged the help of the Lord and that they needed the Lord Israel had lost the battle with Philistines over and over because they had turned from God and now they found themselves victorious so Samuel set a stone and it says one stone often these altars that are found over the Middle East are, are a tower of stones but this one says it's one stone and he set it there between two spots, and he says, I put this here as a place of remembrance, that it was here in this place that God helped us. And he called it Ebenezer. There's an old hymn that we used to sing in the church, Here I lay my Ebenezer. Whenever we would sing it, somebody would wonder, What's an Ebenezer? <laughs> well, it's just a word that means, thus far the Lord has helped us. If you want the glory of the Lord to return to your life, if it's missing and it's gone, part of that will be remembering that God's glory won't return without God's help. Jesus said it this way to his apostles in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you need the Lord's help today, then maybe you need to set up a stone of remembrance to know that as you come to him today, you rid yourself of the things that are unfit for God. As you confess your sins and you're made right with him again, That there was a day, there was an hour, there was a place, there was a time where you set your Ebenezer, your place of remembrance. I have one of those. I haven't seen it since I was a boy and I couldn't find it today. Even if I went to look for it. It's out in the woods in Ohio. It's a place where as a young boy I became aware that I needed God's help in my life that I needed to be, uh, in the the language of the church, I needed to be saved. I needed my sins to be forgiven. And the adult with me that day recognized that there was a group of us there. He offered an opportunity for us to kneel in the woods at an old millstone. It was only that grindstone that was left of what had been a mill where in years gone by, long before, farmers had brought their grain and Uh, The the stream was even gone at this point. But we made that our stone of remembrance. Our place of meeting with God. Your stone of remembrance might not be a physical place. It might just be a memory that you can hold on to. A time in your life. Maybe it's today. That as I have been talking, you've been... been experiencing a growing awareness that the glory of the Lord is not in your life as nearly as much as you would like it to be. and So maybe your stone of remembrance will be a prayer that you'll pray this morning in this place, in this room where you say, I need the Lord's help. I need His forgiveness. I need His presence. I need His glory. I need him to come to me. It can be that day for you. It can be that moment. Notice at the end of the seventh chapter, Samuel, on his own, did one more thing. He built an altar. It was more than symbolic, but it became a reminder, I think, not just for Samuel, but for all the people, that they had to reestablish A pattern of holy worship. Because the pattern of worship that that Eli and his sons had given was not holy worship to God. They were corrupting what worship should be. They were abusing the sacrifices of the people. And they had to get back to worshiping God correctly. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters See, the the writer of that Hebrew letter reminds us that not only do we need the Lord's help, we need each other's help. We need the encouragement, the support, the strength that comes from being a part of the body of Christ so that we can keep ourselves in a holy pattern of worship before the Lord, so that we can experience his glory and know his presence. Each revival movement Has its own distinctive features, but the pattern is the same every time. God comes. First, He comes, and we make ourselves right to be in His presence. Second, the message of God is loved as never before. We we become aware of God's nearness in a way that overwhelms. We turn from our sins. We live for him. Repentance deepens. And the spirit works fast. And he comes and he restores us. Are you familiar with the glory of God? Is the glorious presence of God near to you? Warming you? Helping you? Guiding you? Or do you need a personal revival today? Do you need to rid yourself of some things, confess some sins and have God forgive them? Then let this be the day that you place your stone, your Ebenezer, your place where you met the help of God and his glory returned to you. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to invite you to just offer a prayer yourself that you would move nearer to God and whatever that looks like for you. That you would come nearer to Him. You would live closer to Him. That you would find the glory of God warming the the spirit of your heart. Not just that you'd know He was present, but that you would feel it and experience it. And that the glory of the Lord would change you. Would lift you. Would set you free. As I pray, if you need that, you offer the words of your own heart, your own thought, your own confession to the Lord. And he will come. And the glory of the Lord will shine upon you. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh God, our God, Father of heaven, Creator of all. We stand before you today knowing that we are a people who are lost without you. We we agree with Jesus. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And today we ask you to come to us. We ask the glory of the Lord to fill this place. To fill each heart. But Lord, help us to rid ourselves of the things, the practices, the people, the the possessions, whatever it might be. That has kept your glory from shining on us. Forgive us our sins. Set us in a new place with you today. Help us to experience the wonder, the warmth, the grace of the glory of the Lord flooding through us. Make it so, Lord Jesus.